hands down, my favorite CD of all time would have to be Live at the Village Vanguard by Bill Evans. Well, for sure, Giant Steps by John Coltrane. Joni Mitchell. One would have to be the essential Billy Holiday. Duke Ellington, Kind of Blue, Sticky Fingers, Beatles, The Who, Todd Rundgren, Keith Jarrett, Oscar Peters, Dave Brubeck, Songs in the Key of Life. Welcome to Stranded, CDs for a Desert Island. I'm Ross Porter. If you were marooned on a remote island with no prospect of returning home, which CDs would you want to have to help pass the time? For most music fans, it's a difficult question. But what if you're a musician? Hmm, the prospects could be even more challenging. Don Thompson is one of the most important jazz musicians Canada has created. He's a quadruple threat, can play the piano, bass, drums, and vibes. He's a founding member of the Boss Brass and has led numerous ensembles over the years. As a teacher, his former students include Diana Krall and David Foster. Don Thompson will be here in a few minutes' time, but first, here he is, along with Red Schweiger. Don Thompson on bass, Red Schweiger on guitar, and this is Old Friends. Thompson, Red Schweiger, Don on bass, Reg on uh, on guitar, and uh, that's from an album called Live at Mazetta, and you heard old folks. And as promised, uh, Don Thompson is my uh, guest as we look at uh, or listen to some of, uh, of Don's Desert Island picks. Good to see you. Well, it's good to see you too, Ross, and it's really great to be here. Thanks. First album, first record that you bought, do you remember it? First record that I bought, the first jazz record? Or it doesn't have to be jazz. <laughs> well, it was, actually. It sort of was. It was probably somebody like, uh, I was going to say Glenn Miller. Hopefully it wasn't Glenn Miller, but it might have been. It was either Glenn Miller or Harry James or Louis Armstrong or one of those guys, because I did. that's what I listened to when I first started playing jazz music. You were in Powell River? Yeah, that's right. So how did you find out about... Jazz? Yeah, in Powell River. Well, I was playing in a high school. We had this funny high school band, and we had we used to play Glenn Miller stocks and a couple of Stan Kenton stocks and things like that. And then a couple of the guys, my good friends, actually were a couple of years older than me, so they took off to go to university in Vancouver. And when they came back at Christmas, they had all these jazz records, Oscar Peterson, Jerry Mulligan, and stuff like that. And so we would get together and listen to this stuff, and it sounded like it'd be a lot of fun. I was playing trumpet and flugelhorn in the band, and and I and I heard Jerry Mulligan and Chet Baker, and I, and I thought, well, that sounds like it'd really be fun, and so I just started started playing along with those records, and basically that's how I got interested in playing jazz music. So there's another instrument that you play? Well, I don't play them anymore, but all through high school I played trumpet and flugelhorn. So we're looking at uh, piano, bass, drums, vibes, and. Now there's a horn in there. Well, I played French horn, too. I, I, when, I was in, when I was in school, that's the only thing I liked when I was in school. I hated school except for the band. If it wasn't for the band, I, would, I don't know what I would have done, but that's the only thing I, I liked in school. So, And if there was any instruments around, I just sort of started to learn how to play them the best I could. And I, I learned how to play trumpet fairly well, and then flugelhorn was a lot easier than that. Trombone was too hard because it had all, you know, I had to use a slide, and that was too much trouble. 
if I remember correctly, I told you this story, but just in case, I'm sitting in a jazz club in Istanbul, and uh, the guitar player that's there, Under Folkan is his name, good guitar player. And uh, so we're chatting, and then he mm-hmm. finds out where I'm from, and he has two questions to ask me. One, do I know Linda Manzer, who's a, a luthier? And, of course, Linda lives, lives across the street from mm-hmm. me. And then the other is, do you know, <laughs> do you know Don Thompson? And I, yes. Istanbul. <laughs> yes. And, 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 the, and his question was, is he as good as they say on all those instruments? Oh. And I said, well, yes. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but... No, it was funny when I was a kid because there was only there was only two or three people in Paul River that actually played jazz at all. One of them was a bass player, who was a, actually a bag, he was in the pipe band. He was a piper, a really good piper from Madden, uh, from Aberdeen, Scotland. And the other guy was a drummer that lived in town, and he'd been around for a long time. His name was Charlie Brown, and he was actually a nice drummer. And so we, they were the guys that I played with. And then this other trumpet player, who was in the band with me. But then he went to UBC, and, I, and he didn't play with us anymore. So basically, that's what it, that was who I played with. And then the drummer was friends with a couple of guys from Vancouver who came to Paul River once for a holiday, and they brought their horns, and so we had a big jam session at his house. And one of the guys was a like Lloyd Arnson was a, he played clarinet. He's a really good clarinet player, and the trumpet player's name actually cornet. His name was Ian Hay. And so Lloyd Arnston, after we had this session, and I was about 19 or 20 years old, he says, well, if you move to Vancouver, you can play in my band. I said, wow, okay. And so I did, and I did play in his band. I played bass, and we had, and it was a Dixieland band. So, so there was bass and drums and clarinet and cornet, and that was it. There was no chordal instrument. It was sort of like a Dixieland Jerry Mulligan thing. And that's and that's what I did when I moved to Vancouver. I started playing with those guys. And Lloyd Arnson, actually, his his grandson now is Ian Arnson, who is a really beautiful saxophone player. He lives out in BC now. He's a, a be, absolutely beautiful musician. Plays tenor saxophone. He's great. And so that was. And I met him for the first time just a year or so ago. And I played with him. I thought, wow, this guy's ridiculous. And then when I found out who he was, I just couldn't believe it. I said, well, if it wasn't for your grandfather, I probably wouldn't be <laughs> playing music at all. It was a nice meeting. Let's uh, let's listen to your first uh, Desert Island pick. What is it? Art Tatum. You know, if it were, I can't imagine being stranded on a desert island, but if I was, and I could only have one record, I think, one jazz record that is, because there's a couple of classical records I wouldn't want to live without either. But if I could only have one jazz record, it would have to be the Art Tatum uh, 20th Century Piano Genius, which is... Well, Tatum is the one person more than anybody that I would... I mean, Tatum is Tatum. I don't know, you can go on all day about Tatum. But anyhow, that particular album is two CDs in a box. It was the stuff that was recorded at Ray Hindor's house in L.A. at a house party. And when I first heard it, somebody said that Tatum didn't know he was being recorded. Then apparently he did know, but it doesn't matter. I mean, it's just like a party, and there's only a dozen or so people standing around the piano and... And in between, they and they just let. Have you got the record? You probably have. Well, you, so you know what it's like. I mean, but anybody that hasn't heard it, it's just great because he talks in between. People ask him, "How do you like this piano art?" And then they request a tune. Man, I remember when you played that tune. And then he'll play this tune. And they and it's just like you're there. And it runs for about two hours, something like that. And it's just like you're at the party with Art Tatum, except that he's so relaxed and having so much fun. It's like he never played like that, really. And I don't think on any other record, he's so relaxed and so easy and a really good piano. So this is probably the first record I wouldn't want to live without. 
Here's our Tatum, and this is Yesterday's, and it's from the album 20th Century Piano Genius on Jazz FM 91. to have been. <laughs> I don't know, why, why can you play anything after that? <laughs> I mean, really, I mean... So when you hear something, when you hear that, what are you listening to? What are you paying attention to? Oh, I don't know. Like, with Tatum, it's everything. Like, I don't know. It's just, uh, where do you start? I mean, it's just so amazing what he could do. It's not just the hands, because he had more chops than everybody else put together, probably, but it's the concept of harmony and the clarity and everything. I mean, that, that's beautifully recorded. It's amazing that was recorded in somebody's house, not a studio, because the recording is so good. But the the, the clarity of every chord, I have no idea what those chords are because they're, they're so low on the piano and they're so huge. And he had great big hands too, so he could actually reach chords that a lot of guys couldn't reach anyhow. But I don't know, everything about Tatum just kills me. And like that's that's just one track out of about what? 40 tunes or something and they're they're all like that they're all as good as that the album is called 20th century piano genius and the piece that we listened to was yesterday's and of course it was by uh, art tatum i'm watching the junos a few years ago david foster who is one of the most <laughs> acclaimed uh, music producers of the 20th century yeah. hit after hit after hit and is now the the head of uh, verve records yeah. he's picking up a lifetime achievement award at the juno at the juno awards and uh, he stops to thank you and uh, makes reference to showing up at your place in uh, in Vancouver unannounced. Yeah, that was, I remember that so clearly too, you know. Uh, I didn't know David, you know, he just called and he wanted this lesson. And what I didn't know is he didn't tell his, I don't think he told his parents that he was actually coming to Vancouver because he was scared to. He thought if he did, they wouldn't let him do it. He was in Victoria. Yeah. So he just sort of came on, did the whole trip all by himself and showed up. And we got together for a couple of hours and played the piano. And he was just such a nice guy. Well, I, you know, we're still in touch. And he, he's a totally lovely guy. And I'm so happy for him that he's got this thing at Verve now. Because he's... He's a, he's a really good musician, a really good writer, and a very good piano player. And every, everything he does, he does so well that I think he'll be a fantastic person to have it for, really. So, how many lessons? Oh, just one. And it had that impact on him that he... he it seems to have had, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, all I don't know, I can remember people that helped me, too. And, you know, when somebody actually does something for you, which I, I never thought about at the time, because he was a really nice guy and obviously really gifted, and so we had a really nice time. But it, but so it affects you different ways. I, I remember when I was, like this meeting, I, when Lloyd Arnson, I told you about before, when he told me that if I went to Vancouver, he could, I could play in his band. I mean, that was a huge thing. He maybe wouldn't even remember that now. But to me, it was a turning point in my life. And then the, a couple of people I met, Dave Robbins and Chris Gage, Fraser McPherson, there was two or three people in Vancouver that basically kept me in the biz because they kept me from getting really discouraged and just packing up and going back to Paul River to work in the paper mill. Because And so they would not know that, you know, 
they're all gone now. They're all none of them still alive. But th- that's how they impacted me. So I'm I'm really happy that that I could do, that I it worked out with David like that. I had no idea it would. Did but you give Diana Krull lessons? A, co- a few, yeah. She came to Toronto. She had a I think a Canada Council grant to study with me, and so we worked together just a few times. And what was that like? Oh, she was she was lovely. She was really young, and she was only like, not twenty years old yet. But she was she was Diana. She was a really beautiful little girl, and like she could really play the piano. She wasn't singing at all yet, but she was so talented that like she just really wanted to play. Let's listen to your uh, next uh, Desert Island pick, which is I got to look and see what it is. Oh yeah, I guess we've talked long enough. We can play Charlie Parker now. Charlie Parker comes right out of Art Tatum, anyhow. And so, like, it's a logical step. And I guess, you know, everybody knows the story about how Charlie Parker took a job in a restaurant to wash dishes. Did you know that? I don't know what the place was, but apparently he took this job in the kitchen washing dishes because Art Tatum was playing solo piano. And he, he this way he could get to hear Tatum play every night and not have to pay to get in. Now, this is a true story. And so, like, Charlie Parker... You know, and then there's certain records, not this one especially, because this is the one with strings. But on some of Charlie Parker's records, you can actually hear that he was playing the same tunes that Bird was playing. And he, and I think what he was trying to do in the saxophone was playing, was trying to play the saxophone the way Tatum played the piano. And there's some records where you can actually hear that because it's the same tunes, actually. But anyhow, this is Charlie Parker with strings, uh, Just Friends, which is one of the greatest records there is, period. And so, what more can you say? Parker with strings on Jazz FM 91, and you heard Just Friends, and that's also the name of the album, Charlie Parker with strings. In my mind, one of the greatest <laughs> albums ever recorded, and it's uh, it's Don Thompson's uh, yeah, Desert Island pick. Yeah, uh, how can you play anything after that? I mean, really, what can you, how can you follow Charlie Parker with strings? No, it really is beautiful, isn't it? Bird yeah. was so pure, you know, like we were talking about when when it was playing, but like Charlie Parker was so honest in his playing that you could put him in any situation and some of those records I was listening to the big band stuff and some of the silly arrangements and you wonder how he ever could deal with it but then meanwhile every time he played it was just this most beautiful honest music and anyway was there any formal education for him in terms of music you know I don't know much about him that way he must have like he could really play the saxophone and he really he must have had some schooling I mean that doesn't come out of nowhere but and he started really young, obviously. How old was he in Jay McShann's band? He wasn't very old, so he played. Even though he, you know, he'd played from a very early age, but he must have had some pretty good schooling because you don't just learn how to play the saxophone on your own like that. Somewhere in that uh, in that mix was a uh, was an oboe that uh, was, oh, was Mitch being Miller. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Mitch Miller was on that record, and I was lucky enough to talk to him one time. It was just a, one of those fluky things where he was in town doing sing along with Mitch. And I was on a, it was on a talk show, which I was in part of the band with the old Bob McLean show. And so 
when the show was over, he was in the dressing room, and I went in, and I said, you know, really nice to meet you, and I want to thank you for Charlie Parker with strings. And then, so then he starts talking about it, and he was talking about how Bird disappeared, and nobody knew where he was, and they thought he'd gone out to get high or something like that. So they they just went out, and they were already recording. He wasn't there. So they wandered around, and so finally Mitch found him in a restaurant, and he wasn't high. He was just sitting there, but he was scared to come back because he was so intimidated by the string players and the harp and the classical, all these classical musicians that were so great. He was literally afraid to come back. He didn't feel like he was up to doing it. So finally, Mitch convinced him that he to come back, and he said, well, if there was another horn, I'd be okay. So Mitch wrote himself some parts, you know, and so and then he had the oboe, and then Bird was okay after that, and then everything went just fine. That's a great story. Yeah. And one that Mitch Miller probably didn't have a chance to tell very often because people no. kept thinking of Sing Along with Mitch. Oh, yeah, right. No, he was tired of Sing Along with Mitch. And like when I started talking about that, he, he would have talked all day about it. Your next Desert Island pick, Milt Jackson? Milt Jackson. <laughs> you want to hear a really good story about this record? First of all, this record, the ballad artistry of Milt Jackson, is not that easy to find. It's on CD with another record. They put two records together. I don't even like the other one very much. But the ballad artistry of Milt Jackson has been the this the record every vibes player would like to have made. Everybody I've talked to that plays the vibes, it's their favorite record. Bobby Hutchison, all all the cats. And it's an old record. I don't know if it's late 1950s. I think. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, this is the ultimate romantic record. And so my wife and I have this had this thing for years. Where we we bought so many copies of the LP, we give it to people for Christmas presents, and then on Valentine's we put it on and put candles on. You know the whole thing. I mean, it's just the most romantic record ever made. So Milt was in town, and we worked together down at the old Bourbon Street Club quite a few times. And so Milt came over to the house one time, and we're having dinner. And Milt talked funny, as you probably know. And so Norma was a little bit, of, she didn't really want to talk to him that much, but finally... Norma, your wife. Yeah. yeah. So finally she said, okay, she th- I guess she said, well, no, I'm going to talk to him now. Because, so she said, you know, Milt, that record, the ballad artistry with the string, she says, that is the most romantic record. And then she went on, and then she got going. So she says, you know, we used to buy it, we bought it for people for Christmas presents, and we'd put it on Valentine's Day, it was our special record, and we'd have the fireplace and the candles, the whole thing. And so Milt just sort of sat there, and when she finished, he says, yeah, funny thing about that record. When we are recording it, he says, there was a heavyweight boxing match on TV that I really wanted to watch. And so I got him to bring a TV into the studio and put it right in front of the vibes. And so I'd be playing and watching the boxing match on TV. And all these string players are looking at me and wondering, how could I do that when they're sitting there reading a bunch of notes? <laughs> and he's going on about this. Well, it completely ruined. The whole romantic thing just went out the window. And now it's... <laughs> and it took a long time before we before we could actually listen to it the same way because now every time I hear it, you know, you have to try hard not to think about Milt playing and watching this the fight on TV. So anyhow, the fact remains, it's still the most beautiful record. And this is my absolute favorite track on it. I'm a fool to want you. Here's Milt Jackson on Jazz FM 91.
Milt Jackson, and I'm a Fool to Want You, from the album The Ballad Artistry of Milt Jackson. And that's just one of the uh, Desert Island picks of my uh, guest today, his, uh, Don Thompson. And his other uh, selections so far have been Charlie Parker with Strings and Art Tatum's 20th Century Piano Genius. It's beautiful. Yeah, how do you play anything after that? And a beautiful chart, too. <laughs> it is. I don't know if it's Jimmy Jones or Quincy Jones, because they split the charts on that record, and I can't remember who wrote which ones. But it is a beautiful... Every Everything on the record is like that. It's just an amazing record. What did you enjoy the most about the years that you were on the road with George Shearing? Uh, I liked everything about it. I liked the music. I liked George. I mean, he was the best band leader you could ever hope to work for. How so? Well... He cared so much about everybody in the band. I mean, I'd show up for a, I'd show up for a gig, and I'd fly in for Toronto. He'd fly in for New York, and I'd get a call from there'd be a message on on my phone. I'd phone him his room, and he'd say, "How's your room? Is it okay? Or do you need you want to move?" That's the first thing he'd say, and then I said, "Oh, the room's great." It, 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 you know, he said, "Okay, you want to go for lunch?" And so we'd go for lunch, and then he said, and "Then we go to soundcheck." I mean, there, if there anything wasn't absolutely perfect for me, he'd just fix it. I mean, he was really concerned. It was a huge issue to him that everything was perfect for me. I remember asking Red Schweiger, who played with him, mm-hmm. uh, too, what do you miss the most about uh, not being on the road with, uh, with George Shearing? And he said, the accommodation. He said everything was first class. Oh, yeah, it was. And George would make sure it wasn't. If in, and if there was anything wrong, he'd just fix it. And he, because, and he really did care about the musicians. He really, he really took care of us. And a good entertainer. He understood certainly the musical part, oh, yeah. but he certainly understood how to entertain an audience between songs. Oh, yeah. No, he was, everything about him was just, like, amazing. And the music was spectacular. My big regret is that I didn't learn as much as I might have standing beside him. You know, probably about a half of what I know about music I learned from George, from listening to him. But the half I know is probably about one hundredth of what he knew. So give me an example. Oh, harmony. I mean, like he, he knew stuff about harmony that I don't think... I've never heard anybody that knew the harmony he knew. The, the way he could move things in the middle of chords. And and he could do things technically on the piano that I, when I listen to it now, I don't I really don't know how he did it. It would sound like two different people playing. You know, no, he, he did stuff that I, just, I just don't understand how he did it or where it comes from. Because he had so much knowledge of classical music and he had that, there was that kind of ear where he could listen. And I've, I know he could because I've heard him do it. He would listen to... Frederick Delius, and then walk, after when the piece was over, he'd he'd walk over to the piano and play it, and he'd play all the parts, and it would be the same as the orchestra, and he'd do that after one hearing. Did you ever see Miles Davis play? Yeah, lots of times. I almost played with Miles. I had I came within about an inch of playing a gig with him in San Francisco one time, but like the the band got fired from the club, and so my week never occurred. They he had. Two weeks in San Francisco, and they needed and he needed a bass player because Ron Carter, I guess, didn't want to come out to the coast. So Albert Stinson was booked to do the first week. Was this at the Blackhawk? No, it was at the Jazz Workshop. Okay. And, and Albert was going to do week number one, 
This was 1966, about in the fall, October, November, something like that. So you would have been there with John Handy? I was time? there with John Handy, yeah. And, I, and we were working in the El Matador, which is directly across the street. But I, I was working the first week, and I was free the second week. Well, Albert was free the first weekend, but he was doing something the second week. Neither one of us could do both weeks. So he did the first week. And then there's something that went haywire, and Miles disappeared for a couple of days, and nobody knew where he was. He just left, and the ba- they played without him. And then the club owner got mad and fired the band. <laughs> so I, so my the week I was supposed to play never happened. But I went over like on the breaks every night to listen to them play, and it was absolutely amazing. It was Wayne Shorter and Miles and Tony Williams and Herbie Hancock and Albert Stinson, who was one fantastic bass player. And he was playing. And, he, and Albert, I don't know if you know his playing very well, but he was, at the time, as good as any bass player I'd ever heard. He was amazing. And apparently there was a CD that they recorded a concert in Berkeley at the school, you know, or across the bay in Berkeley. They did a concert there. And, and I, Pat LaBarber has it on CD with Albert playing bass. But I'd go over and listen to them play every night on my breaks and try and figure out what the heck they were playing. Because it didn't matter what they played, I'd just get lost listening. I couldn't find my way through a blues Never mind any of the tunes they were playing, and it was crazy. So I don't know what would have happened if I had actually done my gig, but it was amazing to hear them play. Your next uh, Desert Island pick is uh, is from Miles Davis and from the album Miles Ahead. Yeah. Why this one? Well, that one of my favorite records of all time, the Miles Ahead. The I mean, Gil Evans and Miles. As far as I'm concerned, that big band music never got any better than that. It's unlikely it ever will. And that particular tune, My Ship, to me, is just the most perfect arrangement. And Miles playing is so beautiful, it's just it's heartbreaking, really. And there's and plus is the thing. And I saw, I remember sitting on the train with Sonny Greenwich one time. When the first day I met him, we were on a train heading down to Seattle to play with John Handy. And we were talking about our favorite records and I said and that was one of them. And I said, And you know on my ship when Miles plays the melody at going to into the end, and the trombone player, the lead trombone, does that slide, and Sonny says, "Oh, that's my favorite part of the whole record," and I thought, "Well, it is mine too," <laughs> and so like listen for that. There's this one little trombone gliss. It's so beautiful. Anyway, this, no, this track is really amazing. Here's Miles Davis, and this is my ship on Jazz FM ninety one. like that trombone thing very much and as we were listening to it i mean you pointed it out and uh-huh. and uh it uh, it uh, it was romantic and you know slightly melancholy in a way yeah. that little slide that you were talking about it's amazing you know it's just gil evans was so great you know like the, everything about that chart there's no piano in. it's just like it's an amazing arrangement and miles is ridiculous i mean he's just so beautiful that who can play like that really Kenny Wheeler, probably. Because <laughs> Kenny can really mess you up. Kenny Wheeler can really play. 
I wish I don't know if we have time to play. We probably don't have time to play a tune of Kenny Wheeler's, but we've got. Uh, oh, what I'd like to do, if you're okay with it, is play a piece that you wrote about uh, Kenny. Sure. For Kenny Wheeler. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit about him before we. Kenny. Well, I, you know, I really feel Kenny Wheeler basically is one of the greatest musicians in in the world in jazz today. As a composer, I don't think there's anybody in, anybody in his class really. I, I've always seen Kenny as like the Duke Ellington of now, and as a trumpet player, I don't know. He's basically reinvented the way most a lot of people are playing the trumpet. Like the way he plays is the way an awful lot of the younger guys are actually trying to play. Even in town, you can hear it with John John McLeod and Kevin Turcott and uh, John Chaloner is another one. Out west, we got Brad Turner, who's brilliant, and Ingrid Jensen. There's a whole school of trumpet players that's come from Kenny Wheeler and the way he plays. And as a writer, I mean, he's he's obsessed with melody. Everything he writes is is the most beautiful melodies. And originally and from these parts, from St. Catharines? He's from St. Catharines, yeah. No, Kenny is like, brilliant. He's one of the most important people in my musical life, really. And uh, does he know that? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure he does. Yeah, because we've played together countless times, and like I've, we've known one another for a long, long time. Uh, well, he, I, he has this record. I, I, I've written more than one tune for Kenny. I wrote this one for him a long time ago, actually. <laughs> when we were up at Banff, this tune is about 20 years old now. Oh, oh, longer than that. And I remember I wrote it like because I was thinking about the harmonies. He, he used to write a lot of music with flat six chords, and so I thought, well. I'm going to write something with flat six chords. And so there's lots of those in this tune. Then, of course, the next time I saw Kenny, he he wasn't writing that anymore. He was all, everything had changed, and he wasn't writing flat six chords anymore. He but moved anyway, on. But he actually did write a really beautiful arrangement of this tune for me with a small band. It was really a lovely Charlie wrote of this tune for me. And so it's it's just one of my tunes for Kenny Wheeler. There's a couple of them. I've got a, two or three other ones I've written sort of for him too. Well, let's listen to this one. And which album does it come from? It's for the record's called For Kenny Wheeler, and the tune is called For Kenny Wheeler. It's on Sackville. Here it is. Here's Don Thompson on Jazz FM 91. John Thompson Quartet, and uh, that's the title track from an album called For Kenny Wheeler, and it's by my guest, uh, uh, Don Thompson, and we've been listening to his uh, Desert Island picks. <coughs> this has been nice. It's really been fun. Was it difficult to, to narrow this down? Uh, no, not really, because like I always, you know, my, there's only, I don't have that many real favorites. Uh, like, 10 is actually a lot for me. To come up with ten, it was a lot. It's hard for me to think of ten, but the first four, like Art Tatum, Milt Jackson, Charlie Parker, John Coltrane, that part of it, that's real easy. But then after a while, you think, well, I don't know, because the thing is, but my my thing is, I always think, what what, what if I really was on a desert island? Because I'd want some classical music too. <laughs> there's one there's one classical record that I if I had Bach's Mass in B minor. I probably wouldn't need any other music at all. I think I could probably live with only that. And maybe Art Tatum? 
And Art Tatum, yeah. yeah. If I had another record, it would be Art Tatum. But like it was a mess in B minor. And I've got two or three different versions of it at home. I've got one that I really, really like. And I I was obsessed with it in New York when I was at the shearing. And like I just listened to it every day. I bought the score. I bought the piano thing. And, I, you know, I just, there were, I didn't go a day without listening to it. It's a two-hour piece. And I, and I figured out about one hundredth of it. <laughs> it's just amazing. So. Well, thank you for doing this. Well, thank you for asking me. It's re- it's really been fun. You make you me know. proud to be a Canadian. You, oh, you well, have a contribution. Likewise, and, and thank you. What you're doing is amazing. What can I say? My guest has been Don Thompson. His Desert Island picks have included Charlie Parker with strings, Art Tatum's 20th century piano genius, the ballad artistry of Milt Jackson, and Miles Davis's Miles Ahead. Albums that we didn't have a chance to play included Bill Evans' Portrait in Jazz, Gilberto Gismonti's Avoda, Sonny Rollins' Nuke's Time, John Coltrane Quartet Plays, Kenny Wheeler, Music for Large and Small Ensembles, and Here's to Life by Shirley Horn. I'm Ross Porter. Hope you enjoyed the show.